0: episode
1: do you remember me telling you this story uh with the boss yeah so yeah, yeah. i'll bring that up because i forgot to huh. mention that the main thing that i've learned from these people just looking at all the episodes we published so far it's how to make successful Is like a lot of them time and time again say
0: It's one thing we can do to help you support your team. You just tell me, what can I do
1: for you? It's a very personal, very important thing. Hell, it's a family model. Are you ready, Jerry? I'm ready. I wow. just want to make sure you're ready, brother. Here it is. Share the podcast. Oh, no! I'm
0: Money! 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 All right, I'm excited to be back here for a Millionaire Interviews podcast, interviewing the founder of the podcast today, Austin Peak. He had me on one of the early episodes, and Austin has a way of opening every episode, even though all of his loyal listeners already know this answer. Let's start with, tell us about your company and tell us about what you do.
1: Yeah, my name is Austin Peek. I am the host of Millionaire Interviews. I interview business founders in all different types of industries about what they do. So whether it's tech, real estate, the service industry, or just product-based entrepreneurs, I try to talk to a lot of different ones to keep it fresh and get different perspectives on people building different types of businesses. So yeah, I'm the podcast host. Started it basically early October is when we launched with six episodes and you were episode six. So if people want to catch that one, They can listen to it but um that's my quick background on podcasting cool i'm looking forward to diving into the podcast but tell us a little bit about your background how'd you get into
0: podcasting how'd you decide that this is something you wanted to pursue
1: yeah hopefully the last 10-15 we'll talk about the podcast mostly why i wanted you to interview me is so people understood that kind of i have a background in business although i might not be as successful as all the entrepreneurs that i'm interviewing Yet, I will be at one point. And part of the reason I wanted to do podcasts is just to, I don't feel like I was giving back. So my background is commercial real estate. and started a commercial real estate mortgage company back in 2013. I was doing that for about four to five years. And really over the last year or two, I just found myself getting kind of a little bit more tired of it. It's kind of doing the same thing over and over. And I just wasn't as motivated as I was the first three or four years. I've been brainstorming over the last year, year and a half on kind of what else I might want to do. I still have a passion for commercial real estate and enjoy it, but right now it's not what it used to be to me. And I, I wanted to feel like I could do something else where I could hopefully help other entrepreneurs or help try something else that could inspire other people. So that led me to the direction of going ahead and starting a podcast. What kind
0: of real estate did you do and what'd you do in that field? I know you you started working for a firm and you kind of started your own real estate company. Walk us through that.
1: Yeah. So I graduated UF, University of Florida in 2008. I got into commercial real estate from there. I always knew in college that I wanted to do real estate. I was just always interested in it. I mean, even over the summers there, I would actually for fun go to like Books A Million, for instance, and read books all the time on commercial real estate just because I loved it. And at the same time, I'd also network with professionals in the space just because I wanted to actually meet people who were actually doing it. So over those summers as well, I would make sure that I just send blind emails to these people saying if I could shadow them and just kind of See what they do for a living and make sure that's what I wanted to do. And just over time, whether it was our uncle, Uncle Albert, or dozens of other professionals that were part of University of Florida, they're always open to meeting with me. Cause I, I figured if I had at least one network connection where we both went to UF, then we had some type of connection. And so they were willing to kind of help a student that wanted to learn about more what they did. So that's kind of where I grew my passion for real estate. And then over that time, we said I graduated, worked for a year, went back to University of Florida, got my master's in real estate that was about a nine month program. And then from there, as I graduated, I came out and worked for a mortgage brokerage company for two years, found out I was making them a lot of money. I mean, and really, at the end of the day, I was barely getting anything above my salary, which was 40k a year. So it was just like, okay, you get salary plus commission, but to hit these hurdles, it was really, really difficult. And even though I was like busting my butt to close these commercial loans, there's people who weren't doing that. And they were basically making no commission. I was barely making anything above the commission when I'm working my ass off 50 or 60 hours a week, at least just trying to grind. And then it's just like, what's the point? And then you see how much money you're bringing into the company. And at the end of the day, it just seemed like, Hey, you know, I'm doing all this work. These other people aren't doing as much work as me. We're basically getting paid the same And I'm doing everything myself as far as usually most commercial brokers like have an assistant or some some type of lead system where they can help you out to try to bring in money for the company. But I didn't have that. So at the end of the day, I was just like, okay, after working there for about two years, I'm like, If they're not helping me do all this, I don't see there's much risk why I can't go out and do it myself because I've gained the confidence doing kind of a sales type role. When you come out of school, I mean, it's almost a good lead way into starting your own company because you've got to think proactively if you want to make money versus just being passive and and making money. That's kind of where I got started in the commercial real estate field. And so is that when you've launched the Riverstone Recap, your independent brokerage? Yeah. From there, I started Riverstone Recap was named. Just independent mortgage brokers company. And basically what we do is we just find commercial real estate loans for owners of these properties. And we make money by making a commission once the loan closes. So it's basically the same thing as a residential mortgage broker, but we deal with bigger commercial buildings and we just look at the financials of the property. We don't get involved in any residential because it's different laws. Residential, you don't make as much money and you have to do a lot more transactions versus commercial properties are bigger loans, so there's less transactions. So every transaction is important getting closed. How were you able to launch the website? Did you just learn that yourself? Did you hire that out? I think one of the good transition parts here is this. Before I left the old company, I mean, when I saw the writing on the wall that you know I didn't have any assistance, it's it's mainly because I was younger. It's just become an age thing where they weren't helping me. So because I had to close and underwrite all these deals myself, basically I knew if I wanted to go out on my own, I'd eventually need to train somebody or have someone to help me do that as well because I can't do it all myself over time. And so before I left there, I started looking into virtual assistants. And I'd heard through some podcasts that, hey, I just listened to all different type of business ones, even if they weren't in the real estate industry. And one of the main things that stuck to me was something about virtual assistants. So I went on, it was called Odesk at the time, now it's called Upwork, and just started trying to find these virtual assistants and train some people to actually help me. So you just train with one person at first. And Once I kind of figured out, I can teach them how to underwrite these deals so I don't have to do it every time. Yep. Yeah. And that's something you taught me, I remember, is early
0: on. It's not that you necessarily can't do everything, but the scalability of your business is really constrained. If it's just one person working, even 10, 12 hours a day, can't do it all to keep growing. I used Odesk once you brought it to my attention like five years ago, and I still hire people through Odesk all the time.
1: That's the main thing is just trying to figure out different ways that you can outsource those kind of things. Because eventually you're going to get just tired. You're going to drain yourself to no end. Because actually with the other company, when I was working for Capital Advisors before this, I would bust my butt. I'd be in the office at like 5 a.m. every morning. I'd wake up at 4.30 a.m. And that's because I was motivated because I was in sales role and I wanted to be successful. But at the end of the day, again, the way the commission structure was set up, I just realized I was putting all these hours and not getting anything out of it. So I'm like, I wanted to work smarter, you know, I guess everyone says not as hard, but I still still work hard because I enjoyed it. I just took some of those extra hours that I was grinding myself every day, spent another hour just training this person on what to do. I think that's how everyone listening can go ahead and start off becoming an entrepreneur if you're not. Here's a good transition is just hiring someone to do five hours of busy work per week. Because even if your company's not going to pay for it, there's something that you do right now that's just like data input or something. And if you train somebody for 30 minutes an hour one day and just pay someone, the main reason I liked Upwork as well is you can get overseas assistance. And I was paying some of these people like two or three bucks an hour. Who can't afford that? Especially versus the main thing is when I start my own company, I don't want to hire someone full time 40 hours a week. Then I'd just be giving them busy work because I can't come up with the good things to actually outsource. I would pay these people two or three bucks an hour and just do different repetitive tasks for me. And I think that's a good way for everyone to start. Appreciate you doing the call here.
0: Yeah, favorite podcast by far, I love it.
1: Oh yeah, why that?
0: So I graduated in 2017 from Michigan. I heard that shout out the other the day. That was pretty cool. Basically two months after I graduated, I started listening to the podcast, loved it. I think there were maybe, 30 episodes or something out by that point. And I consider myself to be pretty entrepreneurial. started a business last year. This helped a ton. And it's hard, I think, to find entrepreneurs. I was just looking for entrepreneurial meetups. And I think, wow, this is more of an awesome opportunity to talk with other entrepreneurs. The value is, I mean, it's insane. Like people make these types of entrepreneurial insight things of thousands of dollars. This is 12 per month but more per month is like nothing yeah and the other thing I was really impressed with I remember you showing me several years ago first of all outsourcing so that it made your time more efficient five bucks an hour versus things that only you could do locally and the other thing was automation. So you built like these really incredible Microsoft Access databases where basically you would have a scraper go online, find all these potential loans come and do and automatically drop them in. Yeah. Tell us about that and tell us about how you learned to do it.
1: Before, I think you asked me about the website and everything, that type of stuff too. I've tried to outsource the virtual assistant repetitive stuff versus the one-off things. And I've hired someone off Upwork to, again, if we say Upwork or Odesk, it's the same thing. It became Upwork I hired someone on there to help me with the website. They kind of screwed it up. So then I just taught myself. And it's just via YouTube. You can't figure it out. Between graduate school and undergrad and all the education together, stuff I've learned on YouTube is just almost 3x what I've learned. Like it's real world stuff versus theory. So, oh, how could you figure it out? Well, if you've heard of Google or YouTube, you can figure it out. Especially now, now it's just sifting through the information to make sure you get it correctly. But those are two main things that, can help you grow anything in business or really anything in life unless you're just looking at stupid videos. But so yeah, that's kinda of how I figure out the putting together a website. That was it really at the end of the day. That was the only risk. Other than that, when I started my company, I was like, okay, I know what I'm doing. It's kind of the same type of business model. I just gotta go out and hustle and find these people. And so yeah, you asked me about the database. So that was one key thing I think that differentiated me from other people. I remember when I was shadowing some of those people back in college. I sold the successful ones. You got to have a strategy when you're growing your business, no matter what business. My strategy was, if I can find people who need to refinance their commercial real estate loans, I know they're motivated to actually get a new loan done. Then that's going to be my source to making money. What you had mentioned is that basically I created a database can trained more and more assistants to help me do this research. And I have this database of commercial real estate loans that were showing every single month when a new loan was coming due or maturing is what they say. We would do all this research to find out who is the actual owner. Because the owner of an office building might be office building LLC. It's usually owned underneath an LLC. Well, then we go look up the LLC information, try to back in research who actually owned that building, and usually be some type of commercial real estate company, or maybe it's a real estate developer that owns five or ten properties around the United States. And we take that information that we'd find there, and then we basically start sending emails to. So over time, we just put together a process where I'd email these people and then say, hey, you know, I see that your loan's coming up on this specific retail shopping center or this industrial building. It's coming up in six months. If that's the case, are you looking for a new loan? And really, all of them are. Hopefully, if they get back to me, then they send me information on the property. We'd underwrite it and then try to find them a new loan. Cool. And so one thing that keeps you hungry is when you quit your job, you lose the salary, which is the
0: big risk. That's the entrepreneurial gap or the leap you have to take. But within three years, you had basically tripled your salary, right? You had kind of had to tighten the belt for a little bit. And now you're off and running and has successful real estate kind of enterprise.
1: Yeah. So even the first year after I started doing my own company, I already made more than I did every year at Capital Advisors. I think I had maybe 15K in the bank when I started. So just I could live off that. And I know I was cheap living. I was like, you know, I had roommates. And within that year, I easily made more than I did one year at Capital Advisor. So it's just getting that one check. The main thing is these checks come in big chunks. So you have to be smart about investing your money or really just holding on to your money. Because I saw a lot of commercial real estate guys when I got in the business. That's right when the downfall hit. And so I saw a lot of these guys who had overbought on these nice houses and our mother raised us to live cheap. So I was like, I'm not going to be the guy who's going to go spend all that money just because you get a big commission check because they thought they was going to keep coming in. Well, there's always downturns no matter what. I've always been like frugal with my money and being smart about spending on things that could actually help me versus I've never been a guy who wants a new car or anything like nice, really. I just rather just keep it simple living. After that first year, I basically made more than I did every year at the Capital Advisor's. From there, I knew it was just going to get easy. To me, it just seemed like it would be easier. we get more of a system going. And then I would to make it three or four times that easily just over the next couple of years, just kind of working the system over those first three to four years, I've really enjoyed it. But then it it just started getting a little bit more stagnant because at the end of the day, we're getting property financials from somebody. It's the same conversation over and over and over every single year. And imagine that I was doing it for two years at another company and then I'm doing it for three or four years at my own company. It's just like, I just kind of slowly just like, man, this is getting tiring. I'm not growing or learning kind of after I set all this up and over the last couple of years, it's gotten a little stagnant, and I've just been trying to think of different things that I could do to maybe bring in other money, but mainly it's really just try something else new. And the podcast has really given me some inspiration and energy to kind of do something new.
0: Yeah, and that's really cool. So it's fun that success, you know, you had a lot of success, but it's not all about that. Sometimes it's not just about a new challenge or kind of a new project you want to take on. And I remember you were a big podcast guy right when it was getting started, like 10 years ago or something like that. You turn me on to a few of them, I think EO Fire or one or two of those that have a little bit of a different platform that I think, you know, it's a little monotonous day in, day out. So you found a niche there where everybody's focused on technology, everybody's focused on this, this or that. What I love about millionaire interviews is the breadth of it. So you've got guys who started like a metals company, a guy who's got a real estate enterprise who does sound. That's me in this case. So tell us about your strategy with the podcast. So you know, you you told us about why you started it, how'd you decide what to do it on and what type of folks that you decide to interview?
1: Some people thought right when I started, I took some podcasting courses on like how I should approach it because I like to be prepared and how I'm going to do things. And a lot of them are like, well, you stick to your niche. If you know commercial real estate, keep doing that well, I'm like, I'm getting a little tired of just doing that. So that kind of led me into doing different things. And I just thought it'd be a little bit more fun to learn from different entrepreneurs because no matter what industry these entrepreneurs are in, if you pull at least one thing from each interview, even if they're in different industry, to me, it's it's interesting because then you can pull ideas because they might not be as open if it was just commercial real estate podcast. And I just interviewed commercial real estate owners, Well, they're probably not going to give me all the details of what like made them successful because they're kind of telling their competition who's listening. Versus if I'm pulling from the, all these other different industries, and I feel that like they're a little bit more open. I can get in a little bit more details because not necessarily everyone's going to want to start their own beer company or start their own sound company, right, like in your case. So just pulling from these different ones, I've found that especially like marketing-wise or sales-wise, you can just learn one or two things from each interview, then it would be super helpful. That's kind of what was my concept. What have you thought about it so far about the podcast in general, like some feedback?
0: Yeah, so I mean two things I think are really cool is one – The variety. There's a couple reasons entrepreneurs are scared to kind of jump off. One of them is fear, like they don't have enough money saved up. I think you've shown us that you don't have to have a lot saved up. And when you have less, quite frankly, you're hungrier earlier on. You're working harder. You're driving for that early sale, that early money. And you can show that, hey, you might give up that, you know, safety net of the salary, but the payoff's way higher. And that's something you have to kind of paint the picture. The other thing is the idea. A lot of entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs in the making. Hey, they want to start something, but they don't have an idea necessarily. How do you get an idea? What's cool about millionaire interviews is you've got like 50 different industries that you're interviewing. So you listen to it day in, day out. Oh, there's a guy who started a law firm. There's a guy who started or or a gal who started a a salon that's jumped into 10 locations. There's something unique about every story and every strategy. By sitting there, you start understanding Wow, they did it this way, they did it this way, and one day an idea clips. Hey, that's something I would like to try. I think that makes it unique. You know, one thing that drives me crazy is technology podcasts, because when people say technology, what they really mean is software, which is one of the least technological things, and today we've got medical technology, particle physics, material science. But when people say tech, they're talking about typing in words or typing in characters in a software program. So there's so many other great ideas and industries out there. And I think that's what Millionaire Podcast helps kind of uncover. Yeah.
1: And the main thing is I wanted to kind of make it longer form and not be the shorter ones because a lot of the entrepreneurship ones that I listen to were the shorter ones or again, they stick to a certain niche. I learned from other podcasts. I mean, when I decided I want to do it, it just took a mind shift of also. I'm just taking the energy that I was putting into my commercial real estate company and now putting it all into this because 90% of what my time spent with a commercial real estate company is just out doing sales and hustling. I still have my repeat clients I can do deals with because it's I kind of got that easily kind of figured out. But now I'm proactively putting all that energy into the podcast. Well, some people might be like, "Hey, you know, I was making decent money just keeping doing the commercial real estate, but eventually I can see the writing on the wall. Maybe 20 or 30 years from now, I could see." There's gonna be software and not quote unquote technology, like you said, taking over and or they can have some type of commercial real estate loan portal where they don't necessarily need a broker. I just thought over time I'm like, okay, after I've been brainstorming did different ideas and I've the podcasts I was listening to were kinda of getting crappier in quality. It just seemed like they didn't care after they got started off. I just thought it'd be a cool niche to have a variety of people who are listening, a variety of people who are coming on the podcast, just make it longer form and then try to get information from them. Instead of like asking the same questions over and over on every podcast episode, I usually take them down a certain avenue that we go down. But other than that, when I ask them, I ask a lot of them like their favorite books or their favorite tool or the thing that's holding them back the most. And I put those in the show notes of every episode. And I don't want to necessarily waste the listener's time asking the same questions every time when, if they're really interested, then they can just go on our website and have them all the information in there with the highlights and show notes and whatnot. Cool. Where are you guys located? I think
0: you said Jacksonville, Florida. But geographically, as far as number of employees or contractors and your listeners in rank?
1: Right now, we basically have, I've got one side guy, Ikoy. He's my main assistant who kind of helps me do everything. He basically sets up the audio editing for our two other editors, Japoy and JV. They both listen through the entire episode before we publish it. After they get done with that, they give it back to Equoy. He sets it up one more time for our two people that we have doing show notes for each episode. And that's Mike and Quinn. It's really kind of five people all together right there who are taking care of the show notes and whatnot. And then we hire virtual assistants on a temporary basis to help us research and find these guests for each podcast episode. Really, it's kind of that team of five. And they're all Filipino. And we try to have a meeting once a week and just kind of discuss what we've learned from each podcast. Basically, I tried to, for every episode after we get done with it, try to give them feedback so we can hopefully improve it every time. That's kind of where the system, that how we have it now. I'm more than happy to dive further into it, but was there anything else that you want to hit on the commercial real estate? The only reason I say this is because... I don't want to be the guy who is just like, okay, I don't know anything about business talking to these people, right? So hopefully the listeners understand just based on kind of the brief background I've getting on my commercial real estate company that I do understand business to an extent. And again, it's not that I'm necessarily up to their level yet. I will be one day. But the main thing is I wanted to be that person that could uh, kind of understand and hopefully ask those insightful questions on how they're actually able to grow their business and not just leave it there. Because I want to bring mostly story-based interviews, but then also have some tactical things. So, yeah. So if anyone has feedback, again, too, on the way that we do the podcast, I'd love to hear it. If they just want to email me, austin at millionaire-interviews.com, that'd be great because I'm always trying to improve it and try to bring the best audio quality and best interviews that we can to everybody. And you have a Twitter account as well? It's AC Peak. Again, those all in the show notes. Okay. If you do the show notes, if you want to see what they're set up, we have time stamps on each episode. So basically you can just look through instead of listening to the whole thing and then you can click on what time a person might say something and it jumps to it automatically within our audio player on the website. For instance, this episode is millionaire or this number episode 69. So if you go to millionaire-interviews.com backslash 069, then it'll take you to this episode and then you can see the questions and the answers and stuff that we have at the bottom of all these. And I'm looking at, uh, as of today's recording,
0: episode 54 on the website. And once again, that's millionaire-interviews.com. You can see all of the podcasts and on each individual one. Really unique. You mentioned this earlier, and I think it's really cool. You've got your timestamps here, as you just mentioned. I'm kind of a nerd. Late at night, I like to reread certain things. So if I listen to a podcast, something resonated with me. I've got kind of my backlit Kindle. And I'll come and I'll kind of read through some of the show notes and, and remember some of the details of the interview. And the other thing that you've got at the bottom of each one is their favorite tools. Like the fabulous four question, what's your favorite book? What's your favorite Amazon purchase? What's your favorite tool that's grown your business? I think mine was Microsoft Excel. I'm a little obsessed with it, but there's so many great tools out there and then you've got links directly to it. Yeah, That's something that you don't even mention in every podcast. There's so much more value on the website in addition to just the interview itself.
1: Right. Yeah. And again, because I didn't want to waste the listener's time every single time. But if you are actually interested in listening to more or or finding out more about the guests and on the website, we have that information. But before we dive more into the podcast, hopefully that gives everyone an idea of how much work and time we're putting into this versus... I think some podcast hosts maybe don't put as much time and effort into it. Hopefully they have a viewpoint on that. But do you have any other questions about the commercial real estate company? Because I wanted this to be a little bit focused on if people wanted to know a little bit more about my background. Obviously you do, but I'm sure there's some other particular questions that maybe I could answer or maybe that I missed. They could ask me. Sure, okay. We've kind of gone
0: over how much you saved when you started Riverstone Recap. You learned how to create the website and do the automation and you access databases. Yeah. Why don't you elaborate a little bit more on that? It's really impressive what you did there.
1: How about working from home? That was the main thing that I did too, is that because a lot of my clients for the commercial real estate company, almost all of them are in the United States. At the end of the day, everything was through email or phone. And so I just converted a side bedroom into a nice office. I've got a good setup and like it, Well, I could go ahead and spend that money on my own personal office. I have those individual suites you can rent anywhere, but that would end up being over like a thousand bucks a month. So instead of taking that money, I always just thought in the back of my head, I could really almost hire like two assistants <laughs> and instead of doing that. It's not all about revenue all the time. It's about can spend that money and use it in different ways and are cutting the expenses instead of just always looking at the revenue. So that's, that's what I've always been good at. It's like saving that up and making sure I, I try to be smart about the money. If something's not working, I'm paying monthly, then I'm like, hey, I'm going to get rid of it. I don't have to keep it just to keep it. Just because it's business money, at the end of the day, it's still money that I could use on anything else in the world if I wanted. I don't have to keep paying this person or paying this silly bill if I don't need to. I think making the transition from that, it's kind of a mindset too. I would say that also, I think I bring this up in a lot of episodes, it becomes a little bit more difficult than you think working from home. It's not, I was still super motivated, but it's more the social isolation factor. One of the things that I enjoyed when I started doing the podcast as well is it's forcing me to talk to these other people and learn from them. And the good thing is also there's people in different industries. Like I don't necessarily know their background in the industry, so I can ask the dumb question and then hopefully they don't give me shit about it and I haven't had anyone do it yet. But not being scared to ask those questions. I think some people get scared about it. If, If I was talking to a commercial real estate owner, I might be scared actually to Bring up certain. If they say something I don't know, because I'm like I've been in the industry for so long, I'd look like a dumbass if I didn't say that. But if I don't know anything about the industry, I, then I can talk about whatever. I think the main thing I've learned too is trying to put systems into place, or try to find automated software that can help you grow the business, or else you're just going to grind grinding all the time. Me personally, I never want to spend time like training somebody on how to do something. It's much easier just to do it. But eventually, you just got you got to carve out some time to train somebody in order to do that, or train employees that you have. I would say the hardest thing was when I started bringing people on is how to communicate with them successfully. What have you learned about that when you hired your first virtual assistant? Because, again, I want to harp on this because I think this is the main transition for anyone who's listening who wants to start their own company is to do this. No matter what company you're in or what industry and in, there's something you can outsource. So tell us about your
0: Yeah. You know, early on, I had Patricia was our first virtual worker, and she was in the Philippines. She worked for us for four and a half years, and then we've kind of grown where eventually it was difficult to maintain her level of involvement in the company with we grew up quickly enough that customers, when they emailed, they wanted immediate replies and they wanted to call a lot of the time and that one area that is pretty difficult. We still have our accounting services outsourced there. A big What thing, accounting
1: services do you use to do that?
0: Yeah, so Loida is our accountant that way, so we have a bookkeeper locally. We have a tax accountant locally and then Lloyda is kind of our, she goes into QuickBooks, does the reconciliations, the monthly bank closures, things of that nature. But the biggest thing I think I've learned with uh, employees is making sure that you have clear expectations. So we set up a uh, what's called a daily job breakdown for every employee. I have a job requisition where I'm like, hey, here's the high-level stuff you're going to do. 40% sales, you should make these cold calls, and you have to also do estimating or takeoffs, or maybe it's business development, go to two meetings a week. A daily job breakdown is at 8 a.m., you should from 8 to 10, do this, You know, do your outbound calls. From 10 to 12 on Tuesday and Thursday, you should make sure you're taking a client to lunch or or coffee or something like that. I'm doing the sales guys right now, but for our bookkeeper, every Friday, you have to do this at this time. The first Monday of every month, you have to do this. By breaking it down, you set up very clear expectations of what does success look like. Early on, I thought I could just kind of tell people and they would get it. And I realized, first of all, I'm not the best teacher in the world. So that was a learning experience. But number two is they forget or the job evolves and now you don't have a baseline from which it started. Those were kind of the big things I learned as far as how to manage my workforce.
1: Luckily, I guess when I was training them at first, it was mainly just I taught them how to do property research. I think it just started off with an Excel sheet. And you can think a SharePoint list, if people don't know, is basically an Excel sheet online. It's like a Google spreadsheet. You know, there's two people that can be in the same thing at the same time, spreadsheet and be typing things. I guess I got lucky, this task that I were giving them. And again, this is why it starts off with doing a simple repetitive task for your virtual assistant. Well, success looks like every time you get a new line done. I think the main thing that I started doing was I, I made a shit ton of training videos. So after every property that they'd research, if they did it right or wrong, I think I did it for over like 500 different properties on like, okay, this is good. And I record my screen. So I think one of the good tips I got was using a screen recorder, recording it, and then just sending it instead of doing a Skype meeting every time, because by the time you set it up and get them online and whatnot, then it just becomes a bitch. But I guess one of the main things is, to how we're able to communicate with these people, at least me. I know I'm on Skype 24-7, so luckily my assistants are on there. So if I really do need something, then I can just message them. But I think trying to record a screen and show them the repetitive tasks that you're doing, sending it to the person, and then showing them how to do that is kind of the first step. I think we both bring up that we've hired Filipinos. Personally I've tried hiring people in all around the world and I tried different countries. I've just automatically over time kind of going back to the Philippines because their English A is really, really excellent. They speak better English than most of my friends. Other than that, their work ethic in general, again, these are generalities. Seems like they work harder. That's been the main buy-in and why we've done that, at least on my end, why I've kinda of gone back to doing that. Because I've tried people in India, Egypt. I don't think I've even tried anything one in South America, but it's just harder to build a team and that's what I'm trying to do as well because at first, hiring the first virtual assistant is easy, but then if you're trying to scale it to two, three, four, then it just becomes something totally different where you're trying to communicate people in an efficient way because then Skype messages don't work all the time, right? Just on one person. One person is easy at first, but then once you get two or three, then you're becoming more of a manager and you got to figure out how to manage these things and talk to these people. That was kind of my main hurdle getting started off is once you start getting and expanding and then trying new things. Because at first, again, it was all on a basically a Google spreadsheet, which is SharePoint. But then I took all those spreadsheets and put them into a database, like you were saying, it was called Microsoft Access, and connected all these things to automate things more. I would find a guy on Upwork who is a Microsoft Access Database developer, I basically put together the first connections and everything. But once I wanted to take it a step further, then I hired an expert. He might spend 10 or 20 hours over two or three weeks on it. Over that time, after it come back to me, I would just dive into the back end and try to fix it up a little bit more. So the main thing is I would hire someone to do the main things, but I'm not going to have him tweak all these little things that I know I can do. It's just trying to come up with the concept and relay it to him and have him do that. I think that was the main thing to my success was just trying to constantly figure out ways to automate things and also just continuous communication with the people because you'll find if you stop talking to them, no matter what, even if you assign them a job, it just things slow down. They start breaking down and they become not a priority for them.
0: Yep. Yeah. And that's what uh, we call it. What is it? Not process breakdown, but it kind of had the process atrophies for after a while. So you do have to go back and just make sure you're auditing it occasionally.
1: Yeah, no, that's why I try to do a weekly meeting now because again, I don't want to do meetings. That's the reason I'm, a, you know, an entrepreneur and that's why they're freelancers. I mean, they, they're entrepreneurs themselves and they don't want to do them. But at the end of the day, it's just like, okay, we have to do it like once a week. That's it <laughs> versus my wife now. She like, I think has to do three or four meetings a day. A day. Yeah. It's <laughs> so, so it's like, just imagine I need to relay that to them. That Yeah, you try to figure that out like one one a week versus having three or four a day. The main thing, I guess, over this time, what's kind of kept me driven was I just like really liked what I was doing. I, I never thought of it as a job. So when I busted my ass, even when I'm working at home, some people are like, you know, they might just want to work nine to five. Well, if you really do like it and you want to keep growing it, I just always think of it as a game, whether it's growing the podcast or growing... Commercial real estate company, Riverstone Recap. It's just like okay, if I can find something else to tweak and try to make a little bit better, was website or whatever. That's what I would try to do, and just spend all my time doing that instead of you know watching movies on Netflix or some silly ass show that everyone's watching this month. I think that's one thing that led to success is just trying to be smart about your time and spend on things you like. I'm just lucky that I like business. So, what are some of your top expenses right now?
0: both from the real estate firm and through the podcast. Really
1: probably labor. Other than that, if you're smart about it, I think most people, the overhead would be like office expenses. But again, I cut that out. That's the main thing. When I'm talking about I hire all these people, I mean, some of them are working maybe 10 hours a week or 15. And some are working 40 or 50, but most are working the 10 to 15 hour range because they have other jobs too, which is good for you as an employer because then what happens if I don't have any work for them for a month because they stop doing it? Well, then they have the other jobs and then I'm not giving them bullshit work that they need to do. What inspired you to start your own company? Because I'm just trying to think, you know, since we're both brothers and we kind of both start our own thing, there's any like reasoning behind it, some people might be thinking. It's really insightful. So as soon as you said you were setting up the Patreon, it was just like, yeah, I'll help this guy. You know, I take a lot of value from it. You know, it's as simple as that. Yeah, I really appreciate that, man. Well, I was going to say, have you checked out our newest Patreon episode? Yeah, I was just like, oh, well, I'm in the car. I'll just listen to it, whatever. But I'm not getting anything out of this. And then you're like, Wow. I'm not that naive or anything, but it really did open your eyes.
0: So uh, Carol Craig was a CEO of my previous company that I worked for, Craig Technologies, based in Cape Canaveral. She was always a big motivator for me, seeing what she was able to do, and we knew her from church growing up a long time ago. I always thought, man, I'd love to have my own company when I'm 30, and I really liked engineering, mathematics, that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, I just liked the, the challenge of having your own thing and creating something completely separate from you that you kind of brought into from your imagination. So that was early on, I knew I wanted to do it. As far as the idea for me, as you mentioned episode six, I think we go into a lot of detail on it, but basically I started looking for ideas actively. I didn't have an idea magically. I I actually sat down one day, had a coffee, and then kept writing ideas, and then had a beer and kept writing ideas. I was probably in the, my upstairs office for two or three hours, and the, the list was three pages long. And then, systematically, as I often do things, I said, What's the likelihood of success of each of these things? And then, What's the level of success if it's successful? So, like, I was like, Hey, I could do a pizza parlor or something, likelihood of success, maybe 60%. You know, it's a pretty low risk venture. But if it does succeed, how big could it get? Maybe 500,000 or a million a year. I'm just using some random numbers. So I started going down this list of, hey, here's the best ideas. What's the one that has a high likelihood of success? And if it succeeds, what can really blow up to five, 10, 50 million? Of course, you're just making educated guesses early on. Some of them not even educated, but you're just guessing and trying to come up with ideas. And with the desire to have my company, basically just prototype and learning about soundproofing locally. That's how I combine those two into the company, into commercial acoustics
1: so yeah expanding on that question i mean i'm just trying to think internally as well kind of what would have been me i guess we were lucky both our parents were lawyers and our dad owned his own law firm forever so i think one of the cool things that i always saw is that he was able to do what he want when he wanted so it's not really always about making money it's more about the freedom and that's the reason i think entrepreneurship is cool is you can you don't have to ask for the days off or whatever normally you're working way more but if i need to go somewhere i don't have to ask anyone for permission and then if you're smart and hopefully making money doing it that's the main thing you need to be doing as well you have that income to give you that personal freedom so to me just being able to have financial freedom gives you all these other freedoms and that's why starting your own business is important if you want to have that if you don't want to have that then that's fine people don't necessarily always want to do that but luckily like through our parents we're able to see what they were able to do just they were able to have their own financial freedom by having good jobs but then dad by having his own law firm forever and just seeing how he runs things i think that kind of motivated me Mom, on the other end, she was always always teaching us to keep the money expenses down. So between those two things, I, th- I think I learned a lot from them. But I guess one other thing I forgot to touch about is like, what else motivated me to start from Capital Advisors to Riverstone Recap. Do you remember me telling you this story? Uh, With the boss? Yeah, so yeah, I'll yeah. bring that up because I forgot to mention yeah. that. Is that one of the things is, I mean, even though I bust my ass all the time working there, again, it was fun for me. So it didn't really seem like work. I guess I always remember this thing is that the boss, I was in Charlotte, North Carolina, and I was in Jacksonville, Florida. So I basically was in their satellite office there. But he'd harp on to me about certain things. And I'm like, dude, I'm trying my hardest to be successful and do these things. But I wasn't meeting his standards in some things, which was basically his loan package that you have to get out in time. He wanted these perfect pictures every single time of the property before we send it to our lenders. Well, at the end of the day, again, me thinking logically, I'm like, all that matters is that I underwrite as many loans as I can Get them to the lender because the more transactions that they see, then the more likelihood that I'm going to get a loan close. We'd go into Google Earth, right? And take a screenshot and do the best pictures we could. But half the time, these owners don't even have nice pictures because they might be in California. Their property's in Nashville, Tennessee. They're not going to fly over there to take pictures. And they might not have a property manager if it's just a single office building. So it's like impossible to get these pictures. I remember he, he called me out in front of everyone. We had like one meeting a year back in Charlotte and just was saying like my packages were up to a standard. When again, I'm like, I know I'm bringing you the most money out of all the young guys here. So why are you calling me out like that? That's one thing to always like remember is, you know, if there's people are bringing you money and doing all these other things successful, don't keep harping on the one negative thing. But yeah, so he kept harping on that and they tried to embarrass me in front of everybody. I was like, I remember, okay, I'm tired of this. You know, that's what lit the fire underneath me to, okay, I'm going to start my own now. I, I can't, I can't deal with this anymore. Then when I left, I remember, I mean, I wrote a nice email because I tried calling him and he uh, wouldn't pick up. And then. Just let him know that I would be leaving to kind of start my own thing. And he didn't appreciate that very much. He basically called me and just dropped a lot of F-bombs on me, just saying that I wasn't going to be successful. He's like, you're not quitting, you're fired. And I'm like, okay, well, that's like after the thought you want to say that. But the guy who's upper 40s and then yelling and cussing at me and telling me I'm not going to be successful. I guess I've always been lucky to find that competitive spirit. Like, okay, you say I'm not going to be successful, we'll find out about that. I already thought about it logically when I was going to go start it, but having that extra desire or something to motivate you, I find out always helps. The same thing when I started the podcast, I went on Reddit and I would just ask people trying to figure out what they were looking for in an entrepreneurship podcast. Again, I try to plan all these things out in advance before I do something. Kind of like you made the list of things. You got to think logically as well. But I'd go on there and try to figure out what were good podcasts that people like or didn't like. And then I remember when I posted on Reddit, I was like, hey, you know, these are my first few episodes because I launched with six episodes out of the bat. Some of the guys are like, yeah, what? Well, great. Some unsuccessful guys starting another podcast talking to successful people. Exactly what you hear. I'm like, okay, screw you too. All right. So you, you just got to find those inner motivating factors to kind of find out, I don't know, to, to motivate you and push you and drive you. Because I remember one of the things too, before starting the podcast, I took one of those self-assessments, the characteristics ones. Because they've been like five, I don't know, five, 10 years since I took one. And one of my guests said that they use them a lot, and am like, I might as well. And that, that kind of reassured me that I was doing the right thing when I'm doing this podcast because I kind of lined up with almost every single trait that would be with good podcaster, as well as I could talk to them all the time. But I think the main thing is and why I want to do this was a lot of the hosts, they like to talk a lot. I'm bringing guests on. I try to sit back, be quiet as much as I can and just try to listen. It's not all about the hosts. Hopefully people understand that and kinda of get that from me being able to sit back and listen just like you instead of trying to over talk them all the time.
0: Yeah. You gotta find that motivation. It's uh difficult with employees, they respond to different types of motivation, but something you should never do is embarrass somebody in front of a in front of a group, you know. It's something I'm learning now. I got this Harvard Business Review book on emotional intelligence and if somebody doesn't I typically didn't have two types of emotions, either happy and excited or frustrated. <laughs> And what I learned was we had a uh, meeting every week and this one employee, they weren't being very assertive and they, their confidence wasn't really there. And I would be like, why are you doing like when we're one on one? It's fine. But in front of the team, they kind of lock up or, or don't talk as much. And that would make me frustrated. So then I would like really double down. Hey, what do you think about this? And then it got harder. I realized, wow, if if they don't have confidence, the last thing you want to do is be frustrated at them because that's going to make them have less confidence. Instead, reassert that, hey, that was a great idea. You know, build the confidence that way. So just one kind of small side example as you get bigger and as you have a more diverse team. You know, you just have different personalities. You have to know who you're dealing with and how to kind of get the most out of everybody.
1: Yeah, I think that's an important point. It's trying to Just because you start paying someone, you maybe think at first like, okay, that's enough to get them motivated and going, right? I'm getting money. But there's so many other dynamics that you don't think of that not everyone's like you, especially if you own the business. Of course, you're gonna care about it way more than the people who are there. I guess you could see, maybe you get frustrated. They might not be as invested as you, but there's a reason. They're the employee or contractor. They're not the one who actually growing it, thinking about it 24 seven. What was your work lifestyle like when you started your company? Because maybe some people haven't started their own. I know everyone has their own kind of story, but you personally, just because I'm getting a little tired talking here, how many hours would you start putting in and what helped you start being successful there?
0: Yeah, so I work for a defense contractor at Kennedy Space Center. Craig Technologies. I mentioned. Pretty lax when you're working out there. It's 35-hour weeks, pretty much, maybe 40. You know, government work is usually you're not working a lot of late nights. So I kind of started this. I moved to Tampa. I read this book, 4-Hour Workweek, which I really thought was pretty incredible. Didn't I tell you to read that? <laughs> you did. And actually, Jordan got it for us, for or for you, for Christmas. I picked it up. That's our sister, yeah. Yeah, I could not put it down. It was crazy. I don't think it's as great anymore now that I've kind of gotten used to the core concepts of it. But some really cool things like stop trading time for money. What can you do? I was like, okay. So I am started looking at doing my own websites, that kind of stuff. So uh, one thing it's if you can work remotely one, two, three days a week, do it. Because that day, you can do so much more than you could while you're at the office with the boss right there. So I started working a little bit remotely, and then I moved to Tampa, working remotely. I still had some pretty big programs that I was in charge of, slash, like the engineering manager for. And so I still had to work quite hard, but in spurts almost. And then I started doing the side hustle with the soundproofing. The hardest part was when I had to go to Cape Canaveral some mornings at like 6 a.m. I was there all day. Next day, worked all day, came back that night, and then had to go straight to the factory and work overnight there to produce some of our products. You know, that's within a 48-hour span. You put in 42 hours of work. It's exhausting at times, but yeah, working two jobs so that you can save up money. Liz, my wife, was not working yet. She was in med school, so we didn't have any income coming from that direction. So yeah, I mean, but nothing motivates like necessity, like they say. If you have to do it, you'll do it. And that was, I thought about closing it down once or twice. I remember I looked at my credit card bill. It's like 7,000 bucks because we had a lot of inventory. These sales that we assumed were going to keep coming, but had no guarantee. And then we had a February, I think it was 2015. It was real slow. Really just a few thousand dollars of orders came in. I was like, crap, if these don't pick back up, you know, I'm not going to have enough money to pay off the credit card this month. There were a couple of close calls, but you got to persevere and the bigger you get, the stress, the day-to-day goes away, but the overall stress still weighs on you. So you have to kind of be emotionally in tune with, you know, the challenges that come your way. How do you think
1: you deal with that now versus maybe before you think you still not well? <laughs> you can ask Liz that question. I think I do a great job. Yeah, of course. <laughs> but no,
0: I, I'm not a yeller. I, I never have been, but I do show maybe disappointment or frustration more than I should. And so I try actually another book is a workplace on fire is getting the most out of your employees sometimes you do have to discipline or say hey you didn't do a good job here but 90% of the focus should be on the positives that you're doing a great job thanks for everything you do because even though you're paying them at the end of the day they're making you money too it's a bilateral relationship so we offer profit sharing programs with the company and other things like that to help you know even if it's not actual equity, there is a partnership or a collaboration there. Yeah. And do you think that that helped you out a lot? Well, this year we actually added health insurance as well, which was a major cost for us. And I think that that's helped with retention and recruitment. But yeah, I think both of those things were the two cores. You know, you need health insurance for people to feel safe, for them to feel like the comfort, so that they can do their job. And then the profit sharing, I think, helps a lot more with long term incentivization.
1: That's good. How about throwing it back my way? Is there um yeah is there anything else? I guess I'm I'm just trying to, I try to write yeah. down bullet points, but I'm sure you've got some other questions you can ask me about the company or about the podcast.
0: I got a bunch on the uh, on the podcast side. So on that note, you know I've heard probably 40 of your 50 podcasts now, and I've got a backlog of a few more. What is the best one that you've done? I know you're really proud of episode one because it's really cool. You add in the top features of the first 50 podcasts or so. But what's maybe the best single interview you've done?
1: Here's the thing: there's certain episodes that I like way more because I didn't know the background. So some people might like some of the real estate ones way more than I do because I know the background, right? So I'm looking at one, like episode 15 with Jillian Hellman. Once upon a time, I wanted to be her. A girl busts her ass like she's no nonsense even in the podcast. I think I bring insightful questions because I've got the background of having a master's in real estate. And then I'm also a CCIM, which is designation of the top 1% knowledge base wise in the industry. So to me it was cool because I got to talk to her, but again, I know a lot about her background versus if I'm going through these episodes, I'm looking at episode 13 with Sammy, Blacksocks.com. That guy is in Europe. I had had no idea who he was beforehand. So, like talking to a guy who's owned this socks subscription service when I'm in Jacksonville, Florida. Again, he's in Europe. Being able to connect with these people, it's amazing. Who would have thought back in high school that I'm talking to people all around the world about growing their businesses, not just in the U.S. or just in Florida or, or in my city? I think overall, that's the concept of trying to talk to people not only in different industries but different areas because then they have different life perspectives as well. To me, I like a lot of the foreign ones. When you have a foreigner coming across seas, and that takes a lot more balls to go from a different country and then come here in the U.S. and grow your own business and leave your family and friends behind. Just think about that for a second. Like, oh, wow, I had to give up going to dinner with my friends one night. Versus leaving all your family and friends behind. So those are ones that I always find personally, to me, most inspiring, but other people might not, especially if they're like, they've heard that country or maybe their English is not as great. But I mean, I can understand it. it's fine for me. I, I like it. We're looking at more of them. A the sound box one was kind of cool because me personally, I'm into music. That's episode 23. I really just like music and I've always saw how they made these speakers I thought that was awesome versus some of the foreign ones were like episode nine and episode 16, if you check those out. So I'm just scrolling up from the bottom up. If you go to the website, we got all these cool pictures that we do for each person. Just trying to pick different ones. Episode 32 was pretty awesome for me personally, because he talked a lot about marketing. Adrian Salominovich. And again, I'm not going to say which exactly one is my favorite. To me, my favorite one is when a podcast guest shares it. So I'd say a little over half have shared it, but some of them still don't want to share it on social media. By far, when they actually share it, that way, hopefully, we reach more subscribers and entrepreneurs. Those are just kind of the early ones that I'm looking at that I really liked, but anyone who took the time to share it and then has a pretty good story, then that's great. Not everyone that I interview do I publish? 95% of them I do, but some of them, if they don't come prepared and they're telling a shitty story, I just cut it off halfway through because I'm not going to waste you alls time doing it. I guess one recent one that I'll really like too, I'll bring up is the Shinesty one, because that's actually where I got my suits for the wedding. If you remember, <laughs> I got married December 16th. I decided to switch into two fashionable winter suits midway through the wedding. Thanks to Shinesty.com, I was able to get a coupon code, go ahead and get 20% off. And I believe that's millionaire interviews and the uh, coupon code. I'll go ahead and uh, throw that in the show notes too, to make sure if y'all want to get some festive suits to be able to go ahead and get that discount as well. Again, each one brings different perspectives. Some that I really like, other people might not like, and then some that I don't like, other people might like. So it's just kind of back and forth. I think the main thing that I've learned from these people, just looking at all the episodes we've published so far, it's how to make successful. Is like a lot of them time and time again say marketing and sales. That's what I spend the bulk of my time doing with the podcast now. I recorded so many episodes up front because I wanted to make sure right when we launched that I'm trying all these different things to market and try to get new listeners. So on that note, what's one thing that your listeners can do to support?
0: I know you've got your team of support staff and you're starting to monetize and bring in revenue through
1: the podcast. What's one thing we can do to help you support your team? The main thing is just sharing the podcast. If we get more subscribers or more listeners per episode, well, then we can get more ad sponsors or get an ad sponsors. So right now we're finally talking to a couple. I wanted to make sure we got to a level that was appropriate before we started doing that. But right now per episode, we're in the thousands. We really need to hit over like 10 plus thousand per episode. And if I want to keep doing this, because again, I'm paying all these people to help edit it and try to do a good job. I'm obviously taking my time to train them because even at first they tell me they've edited other podcasts. And I'm just such a perfectionist with the audio quality is that I would go back, teach them what they were doing wrong. And I'm like, this is the way I want it. So they might spend two to three times longer per episode doing it. And most people, even if they edit it, half of them don't even edit it, but they might have an editor spend an hour or two. I have one guy who preps it for an hour or two. The first guy takes out all the ums and the ahs, equally preps it, deploy does removes all the filler words and whatnot. And he spends about four hours, I guess, on each one. Then I have Jenny who does the intro and tries to get any other silences or, you know, kind of cut things down and remove any of the popping peas. That's always become annoying to me on certain ones. So I have her do all that. And then equally, again, at the end, once he normalizes it and makes sure the volumes are hopefully up to par. Now, after that, we finally have two people who do the show notes. This costs money and time. So that's the reason eventually I have to make some money from this. And hopefully if people enjoy it enough, they'll share it. Because if you enjoy it and you get value out of it and you share it, that's all I'm asking. I'm not even asking you to pay like anything. The more we grow, then we can get advertisers. And then I can do this full-time. I mean, really, I am doing it full-time right now, but I can't constantly do it full-time if I'm never going to get paid from it. That would be the main thing to support is please just take time to send it to somebody else. Or like I said, if you go to the actual website, at the bottom, we have all these links that you can go buy these things that these people are talking about. And we get affiliate commission, but we get like five cents per Amazon transaction or whatever. So it's nothing big, but those are just a couple few ways. And the main thing, again, is just sharing it. Cool.
0: Okay. Well, Austin, I really appreciate you having me back on here. It's fun. And look forward to maybe doing a follow-up in uh, six or eight months to kind of see where you're at. It's amazing you guys already have 1,000-plus per-episode listeners after only five months into the industry. So I think you'll pass that 10,000 mark here in the next uh, several months. And I think the listeners, including myself, are more than happy to help continue to share the good word.
1: Yeah, no, I appreciate that. And one thing I was doing too, is if you want to see all that information compiled in one spreadsheet, if you go to millionaire-interviews.com forward slash list, basically I'm going to take every guest that we have on each time and going to keep adding into this list of, okay, what's your favorite book? So you don't have to click on each episode and see at the very bottom, but then over time you can be able to sort them. It's up and running right now. I just put a launch page together and by the time this episode goes live, Walker, because I know you're looking right now, that it'll be ready to go. So you can just sign up there. Again, just take the time to share it if you don't mind, whether it's on social media or any other way. I mean, like I said, with your, with your customers or anyone who you think could benefit from listening, I would really appreciate it.
0: So with Patreon, I heard it many times because you have that many episodes of sign up. So that's always in the back of mind. But then I checked it out a few times and I was like, do I really want to do this? So I'll push it off a little bit. And then you posted your goal achievement of 69 Patreon members. And I was like, you know what, what better time than now? Originally, I was going to go for the lower one, the $9 a month. But one, I want to have the conversation with you. But two, I always find that anytime I cheap out, I always find that I want to return it and upgrade to what I really, really wanted. So that's why I'm paying the higher one, if that makes sense. But it was just constantly pushing it off, pushing it off. And then I was just like, fuck it. I already listened to all of them. So why not? Cool. And I know I've shared with my team, the marketing episodes, especially and as well as the sales episodes with my sales team. There is a lot of really awesome content in there. And uh, I know we're looking forward to it for months to come.
1: And again, I guess you asked me about my favorite episode. Yeah, I'd, I'd have to say it was episode one because I spent so much time taking those clips and putting together. Again, this is through research and understanding before I launch. I'm like, okay, which one's going to be the most listened to episode? And I went back and looked and everyone kept saying episode one. So I'm like, okay, if I split all these hours into this episode one, hopefully it gives a preview of all these ones coming forward and that we're ready to go and that we're prepared. Because one other thing with the preparation thing is even though we've launched 50 plus, I always stay about 30 episodes at least in front. And that's just because to make sure we have enough time to audio edit and put all these pictures together and all these different things and these processes. So again, yeah, eventually it comes down to a numbers game that we have to start making, generating some revenue from the podcast to keep it going. And if you want to keep seeing more of them, just take the time to share and We'd really appreciate that. All right, awesome. Thanks for your time. All right. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to this awesome episode. Hope you enjoyed it. After careful deliberation, I've decided to release my top 10 episodes. So get out your pen and paper and write down these episode numbers. Episode 2 with Matt Gallant. Episode 11 with Eli Crane. Episode 24 with Jonathan Burlingham. Episode 32 with Adrian Selimunovic. And try episode 34 with Don D. Costanza. Episode 36 with Dan Fantasia. Episode 38 with Aaron Krauss. And then try episode 39 with Luther Cyphers. And our last two episodes here. Episode 62 with Andrew Sykes. And episode 63 with Dan Cohen. Wait, 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 wait. Hold on. Before you go, I'm sure you know by now we have plenty of Patreon episodes to fill your passion bucket up with more business interviews. So check that out. Just go to millionaire-interviews.com forward slash Patreon.